When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's unofficially, officially football season. Coach Speak is in full talk media days, expansion, COVID, vaccines, all kinds of stuff right now. Uh, Matt, news is happening left and right, isn't it? it doesn't it feel fun? That's what we've been uh, waiting for. N- news always breaks whenever you're on vacation, I swear. That's right. Congrats to you for sneaking in a vacation right during media day. Got to love it. Yes. Yeah. The, the day, because, I mean, I already screwed up and accidentally scheduled a, a few days away to Gatlinburg during ACC media days. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the, day, the first full day we're there, uh, Texas and OU decide to bolt for the SEC. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no shortage of storylines. So we've brought in the the top of the top football minds, Cameron Teague of the Courier Journal, Keith Wynn of Card Chronicle, our good friends. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keith, hanging in there, man. Yeah. You're 30, 30 yards away from me here, but we're we're still doing this on Zoom. Welcome to 2021, <laughs> man. It's, it's extremely silly. I feel like I could throw a football over your roof and hit you in the head right now. You could, and I'd be in the perfect spot to just catch it right here. Let, I would let's love ju- to see that. <laughs> it, it, it would not go as well as we make it seem, but let's let's get into the guys who actually can uh, catch footballs um, and guys who are covering football. Cam, you just went to media day in North Carolina. What was it like being back in person covering football? Oh, it was weird, man. It was it was nice, but it was weird to like be around and not really necessarily have to wear a mask and uh, really just to talk to people in person. I mean, I just the first time I talked to Vince Tyree in person in over a year, and I had to talk to Satterfield and some of the guys when I went out to Fort Knox in June, I think it was. Um, but it was just nice to just and catch up with other ACC reporters. I mean, it's people I haven't seen in years, people I haven't even met yet um, that I've talked to multiple times. So it was, it was just nice to be out there and, and see everybody again. We saw a lot of weird things happen at media days around the country. The guy sneaking in and saying that he was just a fan, the the, the reporter that started with Go Blue and talking. I think he was interviewing Jim Harbour. Was there anything interesting or like just kind of made you shake your head when you're at media day? This there year? was the Boston College booster. Did yeah, you remember, fantastic. remember that? Yeah, fantastic. He said security is going to probably be here any second. But here's my question. Yeah, I, I didn't see any of that. I was mainly just walking around with Louisville most of the time. The the thing about media days that always blows my mind is just the uh, – the questions that get asked in a large press conference area, the one that's televised, um, that stuff, those, some of those questions are just uh, just off the wall some of the times. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it, it, the, the, those, those questions kind of can kind of make your, 
make your head go, what? What was this person thinking of? But they, uh, they didn't seem too terribly bad when Louisville was at the stage. Now, granted, no, I, I didn't I mean, watch the rest of them. Also, if you remember, when Louisville was at the stage, only three people asked questions, me and two other people. And let's talk about let's talk about from the fan perspective. What when the hell was happening with the feeds? There, Scott Satterfield wasn't anywhere to be found here in Louisville. You couldn't get him on the radio. You couldn't get him on TV. Nothing was going like there was no coverage of him besides you, Cam, and you, Matt, tweeting out his responses. There was nothing else here. We couldn't. Oh, get really? It, it was weird. Yeah, really. It was so weird. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you all knew that, Keith. I, you and I, I are in the middle that. of a work day. There's just ESPN is like, all right, we're going to have sat at 12 o'clock, and 12 o'clock comes, and Tosh Harris from Syracuse is on the set being interviewed right in the middle oh. while Sat is talking. It was very weird, very yeah. weird coverage from the That's ACC. weird. Yeah, I didn't know that. I had no clue about that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, there wasn't much <clears> – <throat> there wasn't much other than local radio being able to catch up, you know, for, for you know, as Jacob pointed out, you know, end of the day, I'm kind of trying to catch up, and it's like, okay, I've got, you know, his interview with Diener and – this interview with Mark Ennis, and that's about it. You yeah, know, there wasn't really much else out there. Uh, so that was kind of – it was odd. I, I didn't really think much into it, but I didn't realize that it was essentially, yeah, we just didn't get that – that info, you know, we didn't get that coverage, I guess, from a fan standpoint. I mean, they didn't say much groundbreaking stuff on the podium anyway, so – but that is weird that the ESPN didn't even broadcast it. Yeah, it was super weird. But what was the, the energy like just overall with the, the players being there and the coaches being back? Like, did you kind of feel like this renewed energy and excitement for everybody who's, like, been so obsessed with football but not been able to yeah. kind of interact with everybody else? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and Tyre made the point to me that, I mean, this is the first time the athletic directors got to meet in, like, 15 months in person. I mean, there's some there's athletic directors who just got a job they haven't met. I mean, so it, I, I think everybody was just happy to be there and for once talk football, but – it's also NIL time, so you get at the players and coaches are being asked about NIL more than they are about football. So I don't know how much football they got to, they got to actually talk about, but I think it was nice just to be around and and know that football season is coming back with uh with this with, with me today is kind of kicking that off. All right, let's let's jump into what the coaches actually said. Matt, you got the pleasure of transcribing Coach Satterfield's comments. Cam, you were there getting to to ask questions and hear what the other reporters were asking. Um, I'll open this up to the group. I, I I don't even think my opinion here matters, but what was the most interesting thing, if anything, that Scott Satterfield said? Matt, what do you think? I'll start with you. I mean, it, it's been a lot of the stuff, like Cam said, not really a lot of groundbreaking information. I mean, most of the stuff we've heard over the last three, four months in the various press conferences we've been to, I mean, it's just been kind of rehashing some of the talking points, how the offense is going to elevate with Tutu and Dez gone. Marshawn Ford looks good. Tyler Harrell looks good. The offensive line depth is getting there. Malik Cunningham has to fix turn, turnovers. I, I mean, it, there were there wasn't a ton to like really analyze, honestly, because we've already analyzed most of this stuff at this point. I think one thing that stood out to me was uh, uh, Satterfield pointing out that Marshawn Four will be more will work more in a receiver role, you know, split out maybe, and maybe some some aspects of kind of flexing his role a little bit. You know, there wasn't, you know, I agree, there wasn't a lot, but that stood out to me because I think that shows a a potential growth of the offense. You know, we were two, we're a couple years in now, and we've seen the same things for the most part. It took until late last season until we saw them tweak anything, you know, inter, interact, you know, introducing more of a short passing game, uh, running some counters as a, you know, in the run game. Some of those things that they just refused to do before, and you know, fairly so because the offense was humming. But you know, with with the potential of Marshawn Ford moving out into a different aspect, you know, you kind of wonder if that's 
him taking the spot of a slot guy or them really working that H-back role into something different. So I think mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see if that, you know, how that goes about. Yeah, that, I, I agree with Keith. That was my biggest takeaway. I mean, <laughs> Satterfield kind of just dropped that as like a little kind of, he just hinted at it at his podium presser. And um, no, nobody really heard that yet before. So I, I thought that was most interesting. I think um, that addition, I think it'll help Louisville's offense a lot because Marshawn Ford is really, really versatile. And I think Louisville is going to use him a lot in motion. I don't even think, I mean, you might not even see Marshawn come out of the snap, come out of the huddle out wide a lot this year. He might just start to back foot a motion around a lot. And I, I think that that's going to confuse a lot of defenses this year. And actually, while we're still on Ford, one of the more noteworthy things to come out of ACC Media Days was your interview with him, Cam, and how Ford played with a torn labrum all season. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone knew that. Yeah, I never heard that. I knew he was hurt, and I knew he had surgery the day a couple days after the weight game, but I I didn't know he tore his labrum and played on it the whole year. That was brand new to me. It's interesting because we talked to Ian Pfeiffer earlier this summer, and he talked about throughout the season, the coaching staff kind of came to him and slowly started to evolve him into the passing game more. And he mentioned in passing injury to Marshawn. You don't obviously think the, the worst there. Uh, but it, so it's, it's really interesting, though, to kind of see the, the full details of that come out. And, Matt, we've actually talked about, I mean, to be honest with you, I could see a scenario where Marshawn Ford is Malik Cunningham's number one guy. Yeah, you know, that, absolutely. We, we've seen a lot of offenses, not just in college football, but in the NFL, utilize tight ends more than wide receivers. You know, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews is a perfect example. Obviously, Marshawn Ford's a little bit different, but the versatility is there. Uh, and the interesting thing will be to see how they kind of develop some of these other guys. One guy I've kind of, I won't even say I've bragged. I, I have really just like honed in on Dwayne Martin. He, he gets my football excitement to a new level because he's a really physical guy. You get guys like him and Isaac Martin really uh, excelling in that H-back role, Des Melton coming along, and you can do a lot of interesting things with Marshawn. So I, I do think that's an interesting takeaway there. Uh, one thing I, I kind of noted and came, I think I, you mentioned this in a, one of the radio interviews that you did, that you kind of noticed that Satterfield had a, a confidence level that maybe you haven't seen or maybe it, it's yeah. just real high at this point. Uh, was there anything that while you were there that he that he said or that just kind of you got the vibe that's making him feel that way? I mean, I know he's talked about the depth in a lot of the, yeah. the important areas, but what is it really that's just kind of flipped this switch for him to go from we need to kind of lower expectations and be realistic to like, man, we could really go here. I think it, I, I don't know that it's anything he said. I think he's high on a few guys like you know, we've talked about Tyler Harrow, Monty Montgomery, um, Yaya. Um, I think he's high on guys that maybe he didn't know how they would be going into the spring, although I think you knew what Monty and Yaya would be, but I don't know. It was just a vibe. I just, it was just a, I don't want to say, I just, a, just a, a swagger he was walking around with. Not that he was overconfident. He just looked comfortable. Um, he didn't really look like, I mean, he was, and he was honest about stuff. I mean, he was like, listen, we didn't know, we thought Tyler Harrell was nowhere on our, my, nowhere on our radar coming into January. And he just kind of blew up and he was just honest about a lot of stuff. And um I don't know. I did. He just, it's just a different kind of swagger and vibe that we've had from, from Scott since probably pre South Carolina stuff. Um, so maybe I think, I think it's a sense of like, he's, I think everybody's kind of finally moving on from that stuff. Um, and I think he's ready to get back into football. And I think being around people in person helps that. The thing that really kind of stands out to me is that, you know, I think that one of the best things about, Satterfield and his staff in general is they're pretty straightforward yeah like you don't get a lot of bs from those guys and you know one thing that I've always enjoyed well, at least from a personal standpoint was hearing about the guys that Bobby Rutrino and the staff was high on 
because you could always take that with an absolute grain of salt of it's just like they're just picking random people. It was it was always like who like okay this guy's kind of it doesn't really make a lot of sense. This guy hasn't seen the field, this and the other, and it's it's been really hard for me because I've heard you know you hear a lot about Tyler Harrell, you know he hasn't been able to get on the field, you know it doesn't really seem like it's a hundred percent like an injury kind of thing where you see with maybe like a guy like Josh Johnson who's been injured and he's had some trouble staying healthy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's just, he's the guy. And, you know, it's hard because I'm like, man, I just, it's hard. It feels, to, it feels like a smoke screen. Feeling. And now I'm like, you know what? I, I have to buy into it a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think mm-hmm. the, the speed, you know, you can't really, you know, rely about that. I mean, you, you say the guy runs the speed and then he gets out there and you're like, yeah, this guy's definitely not that fast. You're going to like an idiot. But I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, the route running, the, the ability to, uh, be comfortable in in coverage and, and beat coverage and catch the ball in traffic, all those things that we see from guys like Dez. We saw some a little bit from Justin Marshall. You know, the question is, can he do those things? And that's where when they're hyping him up like this, and, I mean, I've, it's been nonstop, it's hard not to get excited about that because you're going to look pretty silly if he if he's not the guy. You know, if he can't really do those things and he goes out there and catches three passes next season, you're gonna look kind of silly that you've been hyping this guy up. So, I've been I've been really personally, mentally pushing back on the idea that Tyler Harrell is gonna be what they seem to be claiming he's gonna be. But these guys don't really BS in that way. They 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 typically kind of straight shoot, and it's like, hey, this guy's really playing better, and then you typically see it in the fall. So it's hard not to really kind of get at least a little excited about what he brings to the table, especially with them having to replace so much speed at the receiver position. It's it's very similar to what to Trey Clark last offseason when right. they when they were hyping him up and you were just exactly. like nah, I mean and to an extent Javon Hawkins during fall camp the year yeah, before that yeah we're like we're like who is this kid from Liberty yeah. and who who is who is this Hawkins kid who fumbled who has two carries and fumbled one of his carries in his career like no I don't know about this and then they get on the field and they're all ACC kids I don't know that Tyre Hill's gonna get on the field and be an all ACC guy but the way they hype him up I, I'm with Keith I, I think he's got to be something. Yeah, exactly. Some of the terms used at Media Day, whether it was Malik Cunningham, Coach Satterfield, I mean, we're talking about night, having nightmares, being afraid of, of this guy. And this is a guy you look at, like, it's, it's kind of hard, Keith, not to – you say push back like it's kind of hard not to kind of chuckle because the guy has two catches in his career. He's seen the <laughs> yeah. he's seen the field mm-hmm. in four games. It's been it's been what three years since he's had a catch in a game. Yeah. It, it's kind of hard, and that, and that's why I think there's a lot of from the Louisville fan side of things, a lot of skepticism about the receiver position and maybe some of the other ones too, because there's guys that are stepping into it with a lot of hype, but there's no statistical production there to kind of validate that hype. So it's a really interesting narrative here to see the coaches hype these guys and us just have to kind of trust it, you know? It feels like they might be grasping at straws, right? Like, you know, hey, there's there's nothing there. We've got to create some kind of narrative, some kind of excitement, because there's a position of of importance that we don't have anything to hang our hat on. But I don't think that's the case because we all know we saw what Braden Smith can do, you know, with an ex, with an extended with an expanded role. Obviously, he should be able to take that step. We saw the potential with Jordan Watkins, and he showed some flashes. And Justin Marshall is is a guy that I think feel it feels to me it feels like the guy that they're just kind of hey we're not going to talk about it because he's going to be somebody that we we have a a big role in our offense and we kind of want to. Fly, let him fly under the radar because he showed plenty of flashes last year. He's got the size, he's got the speed, and he's got the experience. 
So I don't think they have to find a guy that they can hype up. So that's why I'm kind of, I mean, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, for like the last month, I've been like, I'm, it's, no, it's not possible. Like, I can't get it. There's no way that this guy's the guy. He just showed up after the Wake Forest game and was just like, yeah, okay, I'm good to go. I'm ready to actually yeah, you know, right. take on the role. <laughs> but it, it's hard not to get into that. It's like, what else do you, what else do you, how else do you explain it with, with the coaches just being like, yeah, this is our guy. It's just kind of, it's kind of a little bit weird, I guess. It really is, and, and it, it goes into this, what I've been calling the all-praise team off in the offseason. Scott Satterfield and the coaching staff, I feel like there's like seven or eight guys who they have just gone in on just praising. Starts with Jalen Mitchell. Matt and I have joked about this all, all offseason. Scott Satterfield loves Jalen Mitchell. I mean, he gets – And he loves great. how beefy Jalen Mitchell is, more importantly. Like, he, at any time they mention the running backs room, doesn't matter, like, what facet of the running backs room, like, depth, talent – he one of the f- very first things he says, like, man, that Jalen Mitchell, he's really bulked up. Yeah. And, and the funny, funny enough, we we just did a giveaway and we gave away a Scott Satterfield cameo. And in the cameo, he name drops Jalen Mitchell. Like it's just a funny, like it's me, Matt and I, we've just been laughing about it all offseason. And it's exciting. And then there's Tyler Harrell, there's Trevor Reed, who the backflip, we keep going back to that every time Matt and I talk about him. There's no film, but he did a backflip. So he's got to be good at left tackle. Monty Montgomery, there's there's no even reason to talk about him because he's been so productive but uh cam who would you kind of add to that the like the list of guys that you've just heard the praise the most about this offseason yeah yeah you mentioned him but are there any other guys that you feel like they've gone out of their way to kind of praise uh early on it was kendrick duncan um georgia southern transfer i mean now they love him i think think he could be an all ACC guy um you mentioned yeah yeah um i think another guy offensively um I think I think maybe they don't get as much they don't much talk just because they're on the old line, but I think uh, they've talked a lot about Caleb Caleb Chandler and Cole Bentley. I, I think those two guys have a chance to be really good up front too. I mean, I think the line has a chance to be the strength of the team, um, but those three for sure. Um, and you mentioned Mondi. I think he's very high up on that All Praise team. I mean, they 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 love him. And someone, to, yeah, go ahead, Matt. And someone who hasn't been getting a lot recently, but got a lot of traction early on when you going over some of the offseason uh, position coach interview was Ashton Gelati. It seemed yeah. that every single defensive coach, whether it was cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, D-line, every single one, when you ask like, hey, who's a who's potentially a breakout guy or who's one of the better newcomers you've seen so far? And every single one of them said Ashton Gelati. And whenever you look at the, the preseason 2D that came out a couple of days ago, you, you can kind of see why because he came in at 212 and he's at I think 253 or something like that he gained an insane amount of weight and as in like Jacob and I had talked about in another recording he power cleans 405 as a true freshman that doesn't happen a lot he's a guy that I think that you know you look back on the class that they built last year and a lot of that was built on I mean all of it was built on hey we're gonna have to watch film and mm-hmm. try to judge how these guys behave in a situation where they're not allowed to be on campus and this and the other. And there are a few guys that they really, that they went after and that they got that show that they, that they are willing to work outside of a structured environment. And whenever you have that, that's the, you know, Louisville when their coaching staff, they talk up a lot of the, traits that they look for and one of the things they look for is a smart kid right they, they look for the guys that have the mental aspect and can can handle that and part of part of that and i've i've, I've kind of pointed this out to a couple of people 
it's not just that, hey, I want a smart kid because he's going to pick up the speed of the game and the playbook and all that. You want kids that excel at school because that's hard to do. That's, you have to work at that. You know, you can't, you, you know, yeah, you're going to have people that are just naturally, hey, I can do well. But if you have kids that are getting Ivy League, you know, offers, you, you can at least assess that they have to be work, willing to work to get to that level. Well, one of the things you look for also, you know, from a physical standpoint, is a guy like Ashton Gelati, guys like Zin Machowski, Machuski, whatever the hell, that they ended yeah. up losing Kowski. the last day. Yeah. And guys like Rance Connor, who, you know, part of their, you know, you look at their social media over during COVID, those guys are working out nonstop and finding ways. Rance Connor was doing backpedals up a bank, up a bridge embankment or whatever, an overpass embankment, finding a way to get those workouts in because you want guys that don't have to be pushed to work. So Ashton Gelati, even though he was super productive as a high school kid, his team was successful. He wasn't highly ranked, but part of that was because, yeah, he's 6'3", 212, you know, even though he was listed as, you know, much bigger or maybe, but you look at him and say, okay, I think we can put bulk on this kid. But one thing you definitely know you're getting is a guy that's going to work. And he got, he came into campus and that's literally exactly what he did. Right. I mean, he came in at 212, he put on 41 pounds and now you have a guy as a true freshman that at the, at the very least, he is a guy that you can, potentially put in as a rush specialist on third yeah. downs where you need someone because that is a weakness in your defense. And now you have a guy that, Hey, is a true freshman, one of the lowest ranked guys in your class. And now you have a potential John Miller, uh, JV and Hawkins, all these guys that you look at and it's like, yeah, they might, be, they might not have been the best players in that class, but you see the other traits that you're looking for. And Gelati is a perfect example of, of that. And, you know, does it always work out? No, but hopefully, you know, we're seeing the positive things in that kid that maybe you can get him on the field early and help with an issue on your team immediately. And I think that's pretty good. I think an another freshman you look for who I don't think was on, I don't, he wasn't on campus in the spring, is Vic Brown. I think I think he's mm -hmm. going to come in and be an back guy on the end. The staff loved him when they signed him, just haven't gotten a chance to see him in practice. I think if he has a good fall camp, he could be a guy who gets into the rotation up front as well. Another guy I want to throw out there, Matt and I, we just did a recording a couple of days ago that we'll put out in a few weeks on the defensive line depth chart. But we both, we had this like coming to Jesus bonding moment with Caleb Banks. <laughs> Caleb Banks, yeah. Caleb Banks. We both were salivating at the fact that there's a six foot seven, 260 pound defensive end, defensive tackle. Any chance he gets on the field this year? Or see, you think he's more of like a project guy? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think the defensive line has so many guys up front. Now, I think my thing with the defensive line is how many guys are going to actually go up there and be productive. I think you can have numbers. We just haven't seen the production from a lot of guys. Um, I think if, if they if they want to put him at nose, I think he has a chance to kind of get into the rotation there. He just don't have a lot of guys. I think it depends on how healthy Desmond Tell is when the season starts. Yeah. Um, I think Jack West Turner will probably start. Um, in terms of DN, I think you got a lot of guys. He's going to have to work to get into that rotation. Yeah, that that two and three deep on on both sides of, of the the defensive line there are are just impressive. I mean, I know you got a couple of walk-ons mixed in there, but there's definitely some talent there. I want to go back to ACC Media Day real quick and I want to specifically talk about Malik Cunningham. I find him to just be so interesting right now with everything that happened last year, the numbers he put up in 2019, the NIL stuff of him really kind of 
um, you know, joining the, the quarterbacks that are launching some of the bigger projects on the NLL, NIL side. But uh, most specifically, I want to talk about the turnovers. One thing he has, he has said over and over again that I find to be very interesting how hard he's emphasizing it is that you can't work on turnovers. He says that multiple times. I mean, he's had uh, several media availabilities this offseason, and he's talked about that. And it's not that he's saying – there's no way to improve. It's just a crapshoot of whether it's going to be better. But uh, Cam and Key, two guys who I know watch a lot of film. Do you, when he says that, is there any kind of qualms of that seems off? Or is it more of, yes, you improve turnovers by watching film, you know, talking with coaches about what, what decision you make here if a defense is running this or you, you make this decision if they're running this? Or, or is there really some kind of like deeper rooted thing there? I don't know. I just find it very interesting how much he keeps emphasizing that you can't work on turnovers. I think it's weird. Okay. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Honestly, thank you. All right. Thank you. That's my thank honest you. answer. And here's the only reason why. I think some of Malik's turnovers are quite literally, you know, hey, I'm making a decision and sometimes defenders make a great play. I'm making a decision and sometimes the ball's a little off. And those are, yeah, you're not going to be able to fix those. Those are part of natural, that's football. But running with the football in the open field and not tucking yeah. the ball away, yeah, you can work on that. And, and, uh, that, and, that's, and that's something I know they've worked on. So I think, maybe, mm-hmm. I think when he says that stuff, he probably means more of like, I can't work on throwing an interception against a defender that just makes a play when I'm about to get hit by a 250 defensive lineman. Right. They don't hit in practice, so you can't right. practice that. And it was funny because I, I it was funny because when he, when he made that comment, I saw a couple of tweets about it, and that was my thing. I was like, you know, he probably needs to clarify what he's saying. Yeah. Because I do think that what he's saying is that, yeah, you cannot fix the fact that things happen in football that are out of your control. And some of that is is quite literally you're throwing 30, 40 passes in a game. You really can't control if you make four bad passes in right. a game. That's just the law of average. You know, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And, hell, we watched Trevor Lawrence throw three interceptions against a not very good Louisville defense couple. Jack's a go, man. Hey, shout out Jack's to Jack's a go. A go. Hey, hey, man. There's not, very, there's not very many defenders that haunt Trevor Lawrence's nightmares, but Jack's right. a go, man. So there are some things that, yeah, I think that that was my initial reaction then. But I also think that the fact that he said it, he still said this multiple times. Yeah. Multiple it's times. It's weird that no one, either himself, maybe listening to himself, maybe, you know, someone in the program, Pete Thomas, Rocco, whoever it may be, might just say, hey. Don't say that. that. You want to <laughs> clarify that because you're going you're gonna to sound a way that unless you clarify it, it's left up to interpretation and you don't really want to do that with something that is a hot button topic because I'll at least take from, I mean, I don't think everybody's reading and listening to me, but I've been driven, I've been banging this drum for the, you know, the last, what, nine to 10 months that turnovers are the major issue for that last season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that everyone agrees on that, but if that's, if, if it's that big of an issue and I think that most people are kind of, banging that drum also you can't come out with a with a statement like that over and over again that makes it sound like hey it sounds like you're downplaying it yeah and i I think that but i you know i agree with cam that it's 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 a lack of clarification uh because yeah there there are obviously things you can work on to, to to decrease turnovers that aren't as simple as hey i made a you know, a, a defender made a good play or something got tipped or this that, and the other some of this is just hey you gotta protect the football when you're running 
You have to not be loose with the football when you're throwing in the coverage and, and making those rash decisions. And sometimes you have to make a decision to just eat the, eat the football, you know, live to play another down, right? And I think that's where he's got to improve. And I think that's where we should potentially see that improvement. He, he mentioned that a lot when he went after he was off the podium, they did breakout rooms with media. And he mentioned that when he watched film with Pete and, and Curtis Fitch, the grad assistant working with the QBs a lot that on film, he just realized, listen, I got to eat the ball. Sometimes I got to throw it away. I can't try to break a 40 yard run. even there's only five yards in front of me. Um, he mentioned, he said, live to play another day, another down, like two or three times in our conversation. So I, I think that's kind of being burned into his head. Um, whether that's himself or Pete Thomas or Satterfield, uh, I, I, he's he's definitely been aware of that throughout the offseason. Cam, I'm still waiting on that piece from you that breaks down every single one of Malik's turnovers. <laughs> oh man, that was so that took so much work. I, I'm mad I didn't do it. So much work. Let's oh, be it's so true. <laughs> it was. It wasn't even just hit. It was so many turnovers. I I went back and watched, and I was just like, man. And it was right when the South Carolina stuff dropped, and I go, well, I gotta put this on the back burner. And then I never got back around to it. It was. Just, oh, I mean, man. is it's it's so slightly pertinent information? I mean, is is it is there anything about it that's time sensitive? No, no, it's just now I got to go back and find all the gifts. I don't know where. I'm going. <laughs> Thank God you got you got Keith here. He's the football yeah. the football film gift king over here. But I got to say, let me first say this: I don't want to make it sound like I am piling on a 21, 22 year old kid handling media. Like if I got put up when I was in college in front of a bunch of ACC cameras and asked why my Com two hundred two paper was late, I wouldn't probably have the best answer either. Let's just be perfectly honest. This is a this is a guy trying to figure it out. Like he doesn't have all the answers, but I will say sometimes it does seem weird how hardly emphasized that specific quote is it's a couple of different press conferences, but I did. Uh, I also found CJ Avery, a guy um, that had, Louisville fans are obviously very familiar with been here for five years, the leading tackler for the last few years, he's coming back. And I feel like Cam and Keith, tell me, Matt, tell me if I'm wrong here. I, it feels like one of the most uh, like untalked about things in the ACC that Louisville is getting a two time team oh. leading tackler, a four year, five year starter back on a defense that was top 20 in passing and top, you know, 50, 60 overall. Like, I mean, it's just crazy to think that no one's talking about that. I, I feel like we don't talk enough about how good Louisville's linebacking core is this year. Um, I mean, between CJ Money, uh, Yasir, Nick, I think KJ Chloe would be pretty good for them backing up yep. CJ this year. Yep. Um, and I think Marvin Dallas is going to have a really good year at the card spot. I, I, I really think he's got to be. I thought we'd see him a little bit more last year, but he got banked up a little bit. So, I, I I don't think we talk enough about how good that linebacking core is. And obviously it starts with CJ um, and Monty. I think they're two guys who, if they have a really good season um, and in Louisville exceeds expectations, I think they're all AC guys. I'm completely ready to eat crow on Marvin Dallas. So as a recruit, <laughs> Marvin Dallas was, you know, he's a highly ranked kid coming out of Juco, but I watched this film and I, I quite literally was like, I just don't get it. I, I saw the potential. He's an athlete. You can see mm -hmm. the athleticism there but as a just genuine football plays you're watching this film and i'm like no he looks like he's a lost guy he looks like a guy that is out of out of sorts he doesn't really know what to do out there and he looks uncomfortable and then when he got here you know he's on special teams and he's just running down the field just murdering people and i was like all right this guy kind of gets it you can see that kind of like Trinell troutman guys that really go out there and they're they're just playing with their hair on fire and I'm really excited to see what he can do with that card position because I think that Rajay Burns, you watch enough. I've been rewatching games because I'm weird. So uh, <laughs> I was, I've been rewatching these games and you, you kind of, you, you kind of miss the, 
the level of consistency that Rajay Burns had as a as a playmaker on the defense. He wasn't always making the big play, but he would make the play that they need, and it led to a lot of three and outs or, or third down stops and things like that. And they need that card position to be a very key position on the defense, and you need somebody that can make plays. And I'm really excited to see what Marvin Dallas can do because I think he has the athlete, ath- athletic profile. Now it's can he put it together? Can he, is he getting the coaching? Is he developing all those things like that? And I think that he obviously has a great defensive staff, and I think Cord Dennison's a great defensive coach. So I'm really excited to see what he does because, in my opinion, they have all the pieces, and the question marks are the card position and the strong safety spot. Yeah. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, that card spot, I feel better about that than I did a few months back with Rajay leaving and not having – and they really just did not have a backup for that position last year. Rajay was just on the field all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to have one, two, potentially three guys, depending on their depth there, should really help them. And now you just have to, you know, worry about how they fill that strong safety spot, especially with Lovey G- Jenkins leaving the program. That left a little bit of a void, obviously. Someone who I've kind of excited to see what kind of jump he makes is KJ Cloyd. Because I remember watching his film when he committed last offseason, he seemed like another version of Monty Montgomery. The very first highlight on his film was him just blowing someone up in the backfield. Like, that's the kind of guy he is. He He's a hard-hitting downhill hitter. That's, that's, his, that's his calling card. And he didn't really see much time last season because of how, how good the starters at linebacker were. But now that Monty is elevated to starter, I'm, I'm wondering if KJ will kind of assume the role that Monty had last season. Well, you have those guys that are just – they have that great athletic profile, right? You know, KJ Cloyd, you watch him on film, and he's just flying all over the place. He's got the speed. He's got that ability to just flat out run through people with his, with, with his athleticism. He doesn't – he doesn't play with their hair on fire. You know, I hate, I hate mm. that saying, but <laughs> – it's, it's, it's really, it's fair. You watch the film and they, they really look like they're running away from something, you know, how fast they're moving and how aggressive they are. And they really did a good job of targeting those types of players. And, you know, you know, not to bring Lovey Jenkins back into it, but I'm literally sitting here watching a Wake Forest game when he got some play and you see those guys that have that ability when they get on the field, there's no, they're comfortable. There's mm-hmm. no, they're not taking those baby steps. They're not worried about this and the other. And especially for young players, you know, the best thing, you know, and not to speak ill of Josh Minkins, but you see the difference between a guy like Lovey when he gets to the field and it's go, 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 and a guy like Josh Minkins is thinking a little bit because he's, he's an 18-year-old freshman. You expect that. Louisville's done a pretty good job of getting those guys, especially the JUCO level. They get on the field and they just go. They don't ever – there's no thinking there, and they're going, going, going. And KJ Cloyd showed that last year. As soon as he got on the field – He's just blowing people up. There's, there's no question about it. They're just running through people's faces, and you need guys like that. And I think that's where they they should really improve because you're going to have multiple guys in the field like that, where last year you really only saw that from Monty Montgomery on a regular right. basis. And, and, and having more guys like that is going to be big for them. 
Before you jump in, Cam, I, I just want to say to the point of the young guys, go back uh, for anyone listening who who questions whether or not what Keith is saying is valid and watch the end of the Syracuse game when those mm-hmm. guys got in on defense. Yeah. Matt and I have talked about a lot mm-hmm. this offseason. The final 10 minutes of that game felt different defensively. The speed and just the ferocity that that defense played with when the young guys got in was really encouraging to see the KJ Cloyds, Josh Mankins, Levy Jenkins, all these guys who are going to eventually see the field once you know the older guys uh, go into the next spot. And, and I was another guy on that just to throw that out. Yeah, yeah I love Reed Vance. I am really, and I, and I, maybe I'm higher than some people, and I feel like Keith, you said this a few times. I, I think Reed Vance is going to be great this year. I think the sky is the limit for that kid. He, yeah. his, he, his body, he looks good physically. I think he's, he's confident. I, and I love Chandler Jones. I think they have three legit, legit solid corners this year. I love those corners. Hey, and um, talk, talk about a Louisiana kid popping. They're recruiting a bunch of kids out of Louisiana oh, right now. You get one blowing up, and it's a pipeline. Yeah. yeah. But, no, I was real quick, Matt, uh, Jacob, and I'll let you move on because I feel like I know we're probably talking forever on this stuff. But I love Dorian Etheridge. I think you you had to just because how consistent he was. He was really kind of always in a place somewhere. But like Keith said, when you have guys like Monty and KJ Cloyd, they're just different breeds than Doran was. Yeah. I, I just feel like they are just athletic guys and playmakers. And you, when you're trying to force turnovers and get the ball back in the hands of the offense, you need guys like Monty and KJ Cloyd on the field. And I think that's just going to be a that's going to be a huge difference for for Louisville's defense. And it's going to open up things for Brian Brown. He's going to be able to do th- things with his linebackers that he wasn't able to do in the past. Get some more pressure. Um, put kind of confused quarterbacks. I, I really, I, I can't talk enough about this linebacker core. I think it's going to completely change what Louisville wants to do defensively. Yeah, let's finish up this first part of our two-part series here with Cam and Keith. Matt, let me just come to you real quick. I know that uh, you've been covering from the distance the last few days. Of you, as you got yourself in very deserved vacation, I will say, for as hard as you work. The final thoughts on media day, things you heard, players, just overall with specifically to Louisville. We're going to get into the ACC here in a few minutes, uh, but just overall closing thoughts from what you thought, man. Oh, and the mute gets him. Listen, my is. dog. <laughs> listen, my dog is being a terror right now. I'm having to feed him peanut butter every five minutes. But what I was going to say is that I am kind of shocked that Louisville isn't as highly regarded nationally among ACC members as what came to pass this earlier this week. So they were voted sixth to finish the league, and I know we're about to talk about that in a minute. But because I know I, on my ballot, I. I'm probably a little bit high on them. I had them third behind Clemson, obviously, and NC State. But I, I, it kind of shocked me a little bit to see them almost dead last in the division. I, I really don't think they're going to be that bad. Yeah, it certainly is a surprise. Let's hold on there. We're going to wrap this part of the two-part series up. We're going to come back here, and we're going to talk about ACC Media Day from an ACC standpoint, and then, of course, the depth chart, because who doesn't love talking about the depth chart in the middle of July? Uh, If you're listening, make sure you tap over here for part two. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.